you can determine whether or not that adversity will be a wing or a weight. Will it be a weight that sinks you, leaves you knocked down, or will you be forged by this adversity? Welcome to Beyond Speaking with Brian Lord. This is not a race. This is war. Just dream it. Say it out loud with your words, and then unicorns arrive from nowhere, <laughs> and they just make everything easy. A podcast featuring deeper conversations with the world's top speakers. I'm Brian Lord, and on the show today, we have author and Navy SEAL Chad Williams, as he teaches us how to aim small, miss small, how to earn your trident every day, and how we turned a shocking loss into a desire to change the world. So I think is fascinating about Chad Williams is he's somebody, and you'll hear this in his story, and it's a long story. You got to listen to all of it because it's it's uh, kind of a crazy ending on that. But um, he is somebody that went from like a a student dropout type person to someone who could push themselves to the absolute limit. Also, somebody who has a great story of forgiveness and change of heart for something so tragic that happened to someone close to him. And, uh, you know, he's just one of those guys that has really changed who he is through hard work, but he also, he's very humble about it. He shows other people how to do the same thing. Even if you're not an Navy SEAL, even if you're just what he calls a common man, a common person, you can do these things. But there's one key thing that I start off with talking to him about that anybody who wants to be a Navy SEAL has to have looking at you or like Jocko Willink or Mark Devine, something like that, you guys all have the most intimidating stare. Do you stand in a mirror and practice that? Or where does that come from? Never. I don't think that my stare is very intimidating. Uh, uh, I mean, if you look at the picture, so I know this is this is great for audio right now, but uh, make sure to go like to premierspeakers.com and look up Chad Williams. But the picture we got on there, like if, if you're like in the, if you're in a military operation and you see that, you're like, I don't care if we've got the high ground and military and and uh, numerical superiority, everything else. I'm taking off. I get that look. <laughs> so uh, sometimes yeah. you got to become a monster to take on the monsters. Uh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So so Chad, you know what you guys do is is an amazing thing. Can you just kind of set up what it's like? being out there as a Navy SEAL. Absolutely. I think for most people, they're not aware that SEAL is actually an acronym that stands for our areas of operations, sea, air, and land. And up until the time of bin Laden getting taken out, I think the question was like, what are SEALs doing on land in Pakistan? Is there a puddle they came crawling out of or something? <laughs> it's like, no, we operate you know, on land. Uh, to kind of give your listeners an idea of what my team was doing on land on our last deployment, we were given the task in Iraq of hunting down men that make suicide vests and roadside bombs, IEDs. And while we're out there, we're working alongside a group called the ISOF, which is the Iraqi Special Operations Forces. And one of our goals with these guys is to teach them how to fight their own fights. And the best way to do that is actually go outside the wire and fight side by side with them. And if you can imagine a whole deployment going by, pretty good. You know, we bagged and gagged some bad dudes making the world a, a better place. And coming up on the calendar, what looked like just enough time to do maybe one more operation, we decided, you know, let's make this operation a sort of graduation operation for the ISOF. We'll let them plan the whole thing from the ground up and we'll be there with them just in case things go bad. So uh, they start from scratch, hitting the streets. They find this source that tells them about a man that's an Iraqi policeman by day, but at night. Come to find out he was one of these bomb makers. So they come up with this whole plan, how they want to approach the house, get in, grab the guy, extract. And one of their requests to us is they thought they got shot at more than we did. And they thought the reason why was the color of uniforms. <laughs> and so, you know, for anyone listening right now, 
I've kind of got this dark complexion. When I start growing out a little bit of facial hair, their request was that we put on the uniforms so that we blend in with them. And I'll tell you what, I really blended in with them. I'm looking around like, wow, I'm looking just like one of these guys. So we got their uniforms on. They're convinced it's just the color of a uniform. In reality, we know it's not the uniform. It's the way we shoot, move, and communicate. And so as we're getting ready to roll out, uh, I'm behind the 50 caliber machine gun standing up in the Humvee. And for those that don't know, that's a weapon that could really reach out and touch somebody. I've got my knife vision goggles on. I'm going over this mental inventory. I'm thinking about how I got my weapon headspace in time. That means it's ready to go. Uh, I know where this guy lives, how we're getting in, how we're getting out. And one unique thing I know about this operation that makes it different than every other operation, I know this is the last operation, which also means I know just a matter of days from now, I'll be back home, Huntington Beach, California, surfing in the ocean. Uh, now, the thing that none of us really knew about that night, though, was that we were actually being set up the entire time uh, to get thrown the absolute worst circumstances we'd be ever been in on this entire deployment as we're getting set up on this ambush and getting engaged now in this this gunfight you know, for our lives. What's kind of going through you, your mind as you're, you're setting yourself up and, or not setting yourself up, but being set up going through this? Yeah, you're not really trying to figure out like who set us up on this. You're focused really on the mission right in front of you at that moment. And this is where all the training kicks in. This is where the discipline is, the muscle memory. Uh, you don't have time to sort these things out in the arena. It's all that prior preparation. And so as SEALs, we're doing what SEALs do best, shoot, move, communicate. And ultimately it led to you know this situation where I'm back home alive and able to speak in front of you right now. What kind of put you in that position, like the very first time, like, uh, I mean, as you, I know you mentioned before that as, as you're going into that, you're thinking about that, that last mission, you, you are remembering how you got started as a SEAL. Yeah. Just going back to like, you know, how, how did I even get on this road to begin with, you know, coming out of high school, going to a local community college, I didn't have a lot of success. I really just wasn't trying. Um, I was failing almost all of my classes. Uh, and I realized as I was pulling into the parking lot, like, wow, I'm turning into be turning out to be a loser. The kind of guy that no young man wants to be. Cause when you're young, you get told sky's the limit, do anything you want to do, be a pro ball player, pro skateboarder, whatever you want to do, you can do it. I'm beginning to realize it's time to fish or cut bait. So I'm failing all these classes just because I'm ditching. I'm, I'm not showing up. And now it's time to take these finals I didn't study for. I'm just thinking, how could I turn my life around? And I'm just brainstorming, sitting there in that school parking lot. And I really just focused in on, all right, I want to do something big, something great. Join the military. And I don't want to just be a part of the military. I want to be a part of the most elite. I want to go through that most difficult, grueling military training. And that's what I really focused in on. You know, I want to be a Navy SEAL. Not just that, I want to be one of the guys that's top of the class. And in the SEAL teams, we have a saying, aim small, miss small. And that's not thinking small. That means you're being very particular. If I'm aiming small at the button of the t-shirt of an enemy, maybe I don't hit the button, but the miss will be small as well. I'm still going to be on target. And so just kind of going back and, and realizing, like really focusing in on, on not just trying to be a SEAL, but trying to be the best in the class, that was really helpful. And so that was my target that I had in mind, but a little crazy. I'm a guy that's like a basically a dropout, you know? And, and, and so I got to let my dad know some bad news and good news, as I put it, present the bad news about school, the good news though, hey, I'm going to be a Navy SEAL. And of course, he's kind of looking at me and just being the voice of reason, like Chad, joining the military, it's it's not so simple. You know, it's not like <laughs> things you've done in the past where maybe at school you kind of got over it and you just wanted to leave. Uh, if you join the military and then you find out it's not for you, uh, you're in. All right. And so if you don't make it through SEAL training, uh, you'll probably be chipping paint off some boat in Japan. And he was 100% correct. Uh, but 
I had the mindset, you know? Yeah, I was I was not a extraordinary person at the time. I was a pretty ordinary guy. Uh, but in the SEAL teams, our creed, it says common man with uncommon desire to succeed. Those are the ones that make it. And so I had this uncommon desire uh, that just kind of needed to uh, unfurl, make its way out. And so while I was preparing, uh, he was also preparing something else. He had somehow reached out to a Navy SEAL and you know, he tried to set up this workout. And so I remember he called me into the house. He says, hey, so you want to be a SEAL? I got this workout set up with the Navy SEAL. And my first thought is like, my dad doesn't know any Navy SEALs. Like, what has he got going on here? And he goes, no, 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 look. And he shows me the computer screen. There's this little email and it says, can Chad come out and play tomorrow? And I'm like, <laughs> play? I'm looking at the screen. I'm looking at my dad saying, dad, let's get this straight. You met some guy off the internet that says he wants to play with me and you're arranging this right now. And he's like, Oh no, he's a seal Chad. I'm like, okay, if you want me to, I'll go meet Man, up that's with a the caring guy. father right there. Right. And so the backstory that I didn't know about was he actually spent some time on the phone with this seal and he, what he told him, he says, Hey, look, my son wants to be a seal, but he has no idea what he's getting himself involved in. And so I'm asking a real big favor right now. Would you be willing to meet up with my son? I'm asking you to crush him. Just bury him. Just beat this desire of being a seal out of him. And so after thinking about it for a while, he shot off his reply in the email, can Chad come out and play tomorrow? <laughs> and so off I go, Oceanside, California, meeting up with a Navy SEAL in a beach parking lot. He spots me right away. I'm now Bubba. All right, Bubba, come on over here. <laughs> and this guy's just smashing me down with pull-ups and sit-ups and push-ups, sends me off on a run out into the wetlands. He says he's going to catch up with me. Well, I'm looking over my shoulder. I'm not seeing him around. And I start getting this idea in my mind, like maybe just maybe I'm too fast for this Navy SEAL to keep up with me on the run. And I'm looking over my shoulder and then just like a scene out of Terminator 2 where the bad guy called the T-1000 can morph into those knife hands and chase down a moving vehicle, while well, I look over my shoulder and coming down the trail is a T-1000. It is the SEAL with knife hands coming after me. And there is nothing I could do to keep that distance. He closes the gap, catches right up to where I am, and I never saw it was coming next. As I'm greeted by his fist, just going right into my stomach. I am impaled, physically assaults me. He drops me to the ground. I've got the wind knocked out of me. There's poof of dirt up all around me as we're on this trail out in the middle of the wetlands, nobody around. And you gotta remember, the only intel at the time I had was this, some guy my dad met off the internet. I'm thinking, <laughs> this is happening, child predator right now, you know? He's jumping on top of me, just ragdolling me in the ground, threads of my shirt ripping, that sound and spit flying out of his mouth that's hitting me in the face as he's just screaming in my face. But then he hit, he says these words, and they really have an impact on me. He says, if you want to be a Navy SEAL, you better stay three paces behind me. Like that's where everything just clicked. It's in gear now. I realize like this is it. It, it. If I quit right now, I will forever be a quitter. I just felt like this is the moment that affects the trajectory of the rest of my life. And so I just reaffirmed that initial attitude of I will die before I quit. Common man, uncommon desire to succeed. This ended up being one of the most difficult workouts, or I should say beatdown sessions that I ever went through, looking back. I mean, talking even after going through SEAL training. He really gave it to me. They didn't stop right there. He was smashing me down. I'm getting back up, going after him. This went on for a handful of miles. And uh, we finally get to a point where he didn't shake me. He's looking at me and he's got this question. He says, hey, if we would have gone another mile or two, would you have stayed with me? And I told him, Scott, I'll die before I quit. Well, he completely loosens up, changes his demeanor, goes, great. You want to meet up again for the workout tomorrow? On my mind, I'm kind of thinking, are we going to address that flashback that you had back there? Like, what was that? I didn't understand like what that was all about. 
find out later, you know, and he's contacting my dad, telling him, look, I know what you want me to do. I gave it a go, but I think your son has what it takes to make it. I'd like to start working with them. And so from that day forward, I had this Navy SEAL, Scott Helvinston, you know, as my mentor. And it was no longer a beatdown session. It became more of a building up. He really took me under his wing. He was teaching me what servant leadership is, how they practice it in the SEAL teams. He saw that pride, that arrogance that I had in the beginning, but he's teaching me, you know, I, I became junior. He's like, all right, junior, you know, in the SEAL teams, you know, there's no place for that. It's humbly we serve. It's always the team first, your buddy, you know, you come last. And he became the servant leader really in my life. And uh, servant leadership, I mean, all you can say is really good things about it. It, it. it creates a dynamic of loyalty. I'm going to cover my buddy's back. I don't have to look over my back. He's going to be covering my back. And we're going to take on the enemies together. And it's none of this backstabbing that goes on in some other places. And so it's loyalty. We fight together. We fight for each other. That's exactly what we practice in the SEAL teams. And so he's teaching me this very early on. Uh, but our time was coming to a close because I got a date. It's set. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go start training. He took an opportunity. He put it to go overseas again. Uh, and uh, so he takes that. And uh, we're on the phone. Last phone call, you know, before he leaves, he says, all right, Junior, about to go do this thing, referring to going to Iraq. And he says, I just want you to know something I've never told anybody that I've ever trained before. He says, I know you're going to make it through SEAL training. And those words, all I could say is that just meant the world to me, coming from somebody that I respected so much. I mean, that gave me so much more confidence too. And I'm just not going to let him down. I got a lot to look forward to. And so we say our goodbyes. Can't wait to see you get back, Scott. So now he's off to Iraq and I'm about to go to boot camp and get this journey started. I'm waking up one day and the television's coming on and I see a picture of Scott on the screen and it's him smiling. And I'm thinking, what's Scott doing on TV? You know, let me know he's going to be on TV. I thought he's in Iraq. You know, he's been on TV for a lot of different things. Uh, you know, one of them, he was the only man to beat the beast on a television program called Man vs. Beast, where he raced a chimpanzee through an obstacle course and pulled ahead of the monkey on monkey bars. <laughs> and so people can Google it. It's true. You know, Navy Silver's chimpanzee. So what is he doing on TV right now? And then I see in the lower third of the screen, uh, Scott's birth date followed by a dash. And it says March 31st, 2004. And before I could really translate in my mind the meaning of that, I didn't have to because it cuts to scenes then where you see a vehicle burning in the background. Uh, you see our guys, and Scott's one of them. It was Scott and three other Americans. You know, they were ambushed, ripped from the vehicles, and all these scenes of just angry Iraqi mobs just beating and wailing away, mutilating their bodies and wrapping rope around their legs, dragging them through the streets. He was one of these contractors with Blackwater Ultimately, they dragged them to the Euphrates River Bridge and string them upside down, and they set their bodies on fire, and then they chant into a camera. They have a message for all of us listening and watching uh, in America, and the message was in Arabic, Fallujah's the graveyard of Americans. It was just a chant over and over, Fallujah's the graveyard of Americans. And so, needless to say, you know, the all the surrounding moments and events around that, I mean, I'm, I have no words to describe it. That's just one of those things that changes you as a human being and you don't go forward the same person. Um, but, you know, there is a lesson there as well. And it has to do with dealing with adversity. You know, in the SEAL teams, we have a way of, of dealing with adversity. Our, our creed, the principle that should come out is it's to be forged. We are forged by adversity. And so the, the lesson there is that, you know, adversity is going to come our way in life. It's guaranteed. It's imminent. We've faced it and we will face more. You, you can't become immune to that happening. Uh, but you can determine whether or not that adversity will be a wing or a weight. Will it be a weight that sinks you, leaves you knocked down, never to get back up again? This adversity causes you just to fail or will you be forged by this adversity? Will it be a wing? You find a way to somehow rise. And so when you lose somebody 
you know, what do you do? You go back to the last conversation that you had with them. You kind of, you know, remember. And I remember Scott saying, Junior, I know you're going to make it through SEAL training. And that became my wing in that moment, in this adversity. That was how I started to become forged by, you know, dealing with that, that I want to do this now still in honor and memory of my friend, Scott. I want to walk in his footsteps. And a big part of me, I'm not going to lie, wanted revenge at the time too. So I enter into SEAL training. Uh, I was part of Bud's class 254 and SEAL training. You know, people could look it up. It's arguably by far the most difficult military training, hands down. The numbers speak for themselves. I mean, as a class of 173 guys that all value the same thing, we die before we quit. By graduation day, there's only 13 of that original wow. class number still standing around there. And uh, that graduation day, uh, it was a highlight moment for sure. I remember walking out and looking up in the sky and just thinking, Scott, you and I did this. I had his name written on the inside of my hat. I got the family there, you know, friends there. They're seeing that moment where you get the trident, the insignia pinned into your chest that says, you've made it, you know, you're, you're ready to go. You're a SEAL now. And uh, not only is this one of the happiest moments of my life, but, you know, you soon after learn and realize that this isn't a one-time thing. It's earn your trident every day. And that's the next principle. That's what we do in the SEAL teams. It's earn your trident every day. You don't just rest on your laurels. You don't sit on your hands and think, well, the tactics that I learned last year are going to get me by next year uh, because we're dealing with an enemy that's constantly evolving and becoming more sophisticated. We need to adapt our tactics to that. And that's so true in real life as well, just the regular world. You know, you know you're dealing with a consumer that's constantly changing. You need to adapt to that. Uh, you've got enemies, you've got competitors that are looking to hit you from the side, take your, uh, your business. And so you need to be ready for that. You know, on the battlefield, it's life and death. Uh, you know, it's, it's a livelihood, you know, out here in the real world. And so I always impress upon people that they need to be earning their trident every day. Have that moment where the awards get passed out. Enjoy it. Eat it up. Take it in. But don't rest there. Earn that trident every day. Don't be the dinosaur, you know, that says we do it this way because we've always done it this way. Because uh, the dinosaurs aren't around anymore. Yeah. And it's not a lack of strength. It was a lack of ability to adapt to their surrounding environment. And so... You know, I'm on a team now. We're earning our trident every day as a team. And, and fast forward to this final operation, uh, you know, we're rolling out. And I remember seeing a sign. It says Fallujah, Iraq. It says it in Arabic. And we passed it before. And, and it never hit me this way, though. I kind of thought, I wonder if Scott looked at that same sign, you know, that I'm looking at right now before he got set up on that ambush. And little do we know we're being set up on, you know, this ambush. And as we're rolling up to this place and, and about to go get this guy where, you know, leaving on armored vehicles, and it's the most vulnerable spot you could be in. It's that moment where you're leaving an armored vehicle and you're making your way through some dead space. Well, that's where everything broke loose, getting shot at from three different directions, taking effective fire, meaning the rounds are being very effective. And in an ambush, the odds are really against you, right? The next principle that should be pulled out is attitude in a situation like that. Uh, our creed says, you know, that seals, we have the ability to control our emotions and actions regardless of circumstances. And that's so important because can you imagine if the assault leader comes over the radio just screaming in panic, you know, oh, we're all going to die, like every man for himself, get out of here. Like, no, that's not what we do in the SEAL teams. But if something like that were to occur, that type of attitude, it would rub off on everybody else. It would cause mass hysteria within the group, right? Total confusion. Yeah. Or you think about President Bush during 9-11. Uh, you know, when he got the news from Andy Card, like, Mr. President, America is under attack. We could go back and pinpoint the moment where he got that most devastating news. And the way that he was, he's been criticized by some. Oh, look how he just, he's not showing any emotion. What's yeah, wrong with him? And this was when he was he at the care? school in Florida, right? Yeah. yeah, the school in Florida. And looking back, he explains it perfectly well. He says, look, just like every other American, 
I was welled up with the most, like I couldn't believe what was going on, but I'm in a leadership position right now. And the cameras are gonna capture the moment, the way that I respond. And so he needed to project something to the rest of our nation. It was a calmness, a coolness. It was like, this guy's gonna, we're, he's gonna get us through this. Could you imagine if he would have just broke down emotionally on camera in front of the whole nation? It would cause just mass hysteria. And so my assault leader is very calm, cool, and collected. All right, boys, we're getting out of here alive, but I need you to push left, which tactically speaking meant we're not running away. Uh, we're gonna be running through these bullets right now. We're maneuvering on these guys. And that's really a call only a servant leader can make to his guys. He has our loyalty. And so we will, we will fight to the death uh, for him. And I would say really against all the odds, we're able to kill and drive back the enemy. And ultimately we got to the guy that we're going after and he was wounded, but alive. And I think one of the big differences between, I would say, us and them over there is that we preserve life wherever possible. You know, sometimes people think that we're over there just to kind of kill them all, let God sort them out. Well, you know, if we have an enemy that wants to fight to the death, you know, we'll let God judge our enemies and we're just happy to arrange the meeting. <laughs> but if they're no longer a lethal threat to us, like this guy was wounded, but alive and he wasn't a threat to us anymore, uh, now everything changes. And I was actually given the responsibility uh, to be one of the guys that actually hand carried this guy into our own hospital on our military base to save his life. And for me, I think that was kind of like coming full circle. That was kind of a closure because we're operating in the same uh, you know, province, same area where Scott was operating when he was ambushed. You know, there was a part of me that wanted revenge. You know, when I was a young guy and I saw those things on TV, obviously I've matured as a SEAL. We preserve life wherever possible. And uh, now I'm getting put into a position though that is very tough for me to be one of these guys that carries him into our hospital. And I remember just kind of being so close to him, you know, carrying him face to face with them. I remember just kind of looking back and thinking, man, you know, it's kind of come a long ways. I, I don't know, I didn't know what kind of person you know, I would be when, you know, this type of situation came and I wanted to get them off my hands. I didn't want to, you know, hang out there for too long either, you know? Uh, but um, yeah, that was kind of a full, full closure uh, moment right there. And so uh, we all came back home alive. And I would say it was not just our team's ability to shoot, move and communicate, but just it was the underpinning principles that we live off of some of the principles that I shared, you know, as a team, we aim small, miss small. Uh, we're those common men with uncommon desire to succeed. We're servant leaders. We're looking after the needs, esteeming the needs of, of others always is greater than our own. That creates that family dynamic. Uh, we face adversity, but we're forged by it. We're not going to let that adversity cause us to fail. Uh, we're earning that trident every day, constantly looking for ways to innovate, adapt. And then the ability to control emotions and actions regards to circumstances is so important for a myriad of reasons. But one of the big ones we talked about is uh, just really setting the tone. That tone is very contagious. And then in the worst of conditions, relying upon the legacy of those who have gone before, it's really the big takeaway there. It's just challenging folks. You know, what is it that you would write on the inside of your hat? And so these are things you need to figure out before you enter into the arena. These are, this is the prior preparation that you do uh, so that when you're actually out there, uh, you're able to shoot, move and communicate and do what you do at your highest level. Thank you for joining us for the Beyond Speaking Podcast. Make sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen. To learn more, go to beyondspeak.com because adding the ING was too expensive. For this episode of the Beyond Speaking Podcast, your technical director, producer, and head Steelers fan was Eric Woody. Your creative director and part-time leprechaun was Travis Franklin. Brian Lord, your host, executive producer, and specialist in speaking about himself in the third person. Additional thanks to special consultant and the pride of St. Paul, Lauren D. of D. Associates. 
Thank you to the incredible voice talents of the muy profundo Robert Borges. Finally, thanks to the premier founder, Dwayne Ward, CEO Sean Hanks, and CIO Chris Yount, simply because you need to thank powerful people. If you've listened this far, you clearly have nothing better to do, so why not continue on and listen to the next Beyond Speaking podcast.